All right, hello, welcome back to Unqualified Analysis, the show with zero qualifications, zero credentials, zero shower this morning, and just keeps reliving some things. But you know what? I'm not going to talk about that uh, on the podcast right now. Your boy, your, your boy, your boy done fucked up in a way that he did. he doesn't care to share right now, but it's just eating me alive inside. I'm not sure why I'm sharing it right now at the top of this podcast other than to say, you know, some things you just can't get out of your mind. It is what it is, folks. Either way, we're going to be keeping it moving forward here today. We have got uh, championship preview, championship games in the AFC, the NFC, both on Sunday. We'll be getting to that and getting to more headlines, hirings, firings. It's all happening here uh, on unqualified analysis, just in the you know the, the general sporting world. Um, you know, Doc River, Doc River, yeah, the, the Doctor River himself, uh, yeah, Doc Rivers. Now, he's a head coach again with the Milwaukee Bucks. Not really going to be talking about that, uh, but uh, I, I believe the Bucks hired Adrian Griffin this offseason, fired him after like a 30-13 and 13 start to the season because they got blown out of the water by the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers and then hired Doc Rivers off the street. You know, some may call that a joke franchise move. We'll have to see how it works out. Either way, this is more of a football podcast. We'll probably talk about basketball in the offseason when there's literally, I mean literally, nothing else to talk about. So, you know, mid-February, we'll, we'll see what happens. They've got the combine coming up here at some point, but uh, we are, we're hopping right off into the abyss. Which, by the way, before I get into the analysis of the games, guess what we're hitting up top before we get into the headlines and all that sort of stuff. Uh, probably good to hit it up top here. After this uh, this episode here goes out, I believe making an executive decision next week, going to be the dead week before Super Bowl, it would be an opportune time. We're going back to one episode a week, folks, just one episode a week. We've been hitting it twice a week because we still had, you know, some football to talk about. Next week, it's it's going to be one more game after this week. We've got three more games in the season right now, and, you know, we had a, a recap, and it's, it's going to be, you know, games this next weekend so we could get away with doing uh two episodes this past week especially having four games to talk about in the divisional round this next week um we're gonna be just recapping the championship games and won't be previewing the super bowl because we're gonna have a whole dead week to work with so yeah just thought about it you know throughout the course of uh, today well, yesterday, the day before, I've been thinking about this all week. And you know, this is a this is an opportune time to go back to one episode a week, uh, which you know, it's gonna take a little bit off of your boy's plate, which is gonna be nice. It is uh, it is also signaling that we are in the very I the I mean the very twilight of this uh, this football season. It's sad. It's it's pretty sad. Uh, either way, though, you know, it's optimism time being a Vikings fan. With that said, though, yeah. One episode next week. Think we're just gonna do it on Tuesday. Might as well just stick with the one on Tuesday, and you know the the way it is. That seems to work out pretty well. No, no need to move it to like you know middle of the week on Wednesday or anything like that. Just just keep it on Tuesday for now. Uh, so yeah, with that out of the way, let's um, let's you know grab the coffee here that is directly to my left and just oh so good. Just you know injects injects energy straight into my veins in in ways that you know what I absolutely need at, at times like these. So uh, yeah, with that being said, take a quick gulp skiroodle of this uh, this coffee here. I hate myself for saying gulp skiroodle by the way. That's that's just 
Something I should have done. I'm not going to set that over there. I'm going to keep it right here. Yeah, and then we're going to get straight into the games at hand. Uh, first and foremost, we'll just go chronologically in this one because they're both, you know, solid games with interesting storylines to boot. Chiefs at the Ravens, M&T ba M &T Bank Stadium hosting the AFC Championship game for the first time in... Honestly, a lot longer than I thought. It's it's been a really long time since since Baltimore hosted the AFC Championship game. You may remember them going to the Super Bowl back when they had Joe Flacco back in the building. Shout out Stavros Halkius. He's fantastic. Neither here nor there. Super fan for the Ravens. Uh, Ronnie from Dundalk. You may know him as that. Uh, either way, M&T Bank Stadium is going to be absolutely rocking. Uh, I, if I had to go with one ticket to one of these games, be it in Santa Clara or M&T Bank Stadium, fuck the weather, I don't care how cold it's going to be, get me in the bank, if you get me in the lower bowl, I, get anyone in the lower bowl, if you're a football fan, you will enjoy that stadium, they got the band in there, most, play, most NFL teams don't have a band, Baltimore does have a band, uh, the, the fans go wild in there when their, their Ravens are doing well, it, it is a awesome environment it is like one of the one is more akin to a college environment than a lot of places in the nfl i mean honest honestly you can't really quantify a college environment just because the passion is just up to a, a certain degree but the ravens come very close to that especially in this playoff time of year um uh, yeah if, if i had to go to one sporting event this week boy give me a ticket in the lower bowl of mnt bank stadium and i will just die a happy man really i don't want to die that happy because the only way i could be happier is you know if the vikings did anything but the m&t bank stadium i've been in that stadium i mean probably like double digit times in my life i don't really my senior year of high school was i mean a lot of ravens games i went to being in the baltimore area m&t bank stadium gets rocking man it is an awesome awesome environment that's going to be a dandy of a football game i cannot wait to uh to watch that one and live vicariously through uh what i'm seeing on the football field in that uh, in that time and space i digress though on the actual atmosphere like i said atmosphere it's going to be second to none it's going to be an awesome awesome game from that perspective the lines though however now i may have been a little bit mistaken on the line movement. Seems like uh, Vegas is holding pretty firm at that three and a half. So we did lock that one in. Already got the two bets that I talked about the other night that are Lions plus seven and then the over 50 and a half in the Lions 49ers. So already locked those in. Also locked in Ravens minus three and a half. I feel very, very good about this game. But let me get into a little, little bit of why after we, you know, look at all the, the numbers and whatnot. So yeah, right now in pretty much every place except for points bet, it is Ravens minus three and a half, and they are all steady at Ravens minus three and a half, if not slightly juiced uh, towards the four right now, which makes me think now is probably the time to move, because it might be even moving more in the Ravens direction, uh, which is fairly indicative of how Vegas feels about this, because I think there probably is a good amount of dumb money coming in on the Chiefs, and Vegas is holding firm right now. The Ravens are uh, should be favored in this one. Uh, Over-under is uh, 44.5 in most places. Again, points bet is, is the lone one out there with a 44. Um, I'm staying the hell away from this this uh, this number. I, the, the defenses on both of these sides of the field are, I mean, top 10 units, both of them. I think the Chiefs definitely a top 10 unit. The Ravens are the best defense in the whole damn league. I mean, it's not even, I mean, 
at a at a point it was a it was a debate between them and the 49ers. There's no debate anymore. The the Ravens are a head and shoulders better defense than everyone else in the National Football League. Um and it's a it's a big reason why Mike McDonald should be getting a head coaching uh, opportunity, a head coaching job here in this cycle, that being the defensive coordinator, obviously. But yeah, with that said, Spags is doing a hell of a job with the Chiefs. Mike McDonald's doing a hell of a job with the Ravens with all those freaks that they have on that side. I am staying the hell away from that total. I could very see, very easily see it going under. And, you know, we do have two quarterbacks in this matchup by the names of uh, Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah. That is all to say no great feel on how this game is going to go from a total perspective. So staying away from that one. Uh, let's talk about matchups, though. Like, there's a reason, you're, and you'll probably see as I analyze this a little bit more, why I feel very strongly about the Ravens at minus three and a half. But let's just let's just crack this thing open, shall we? Um, starting off, well, let's just go with the Ravens offense versus the Chiefs defense. Now, obviously... The Chiefs front seven, the strength of the defense for sure. Obviously, you got Legarius Sneed in the back end, who you'll probably end up putting on. I don't, I don't recall off the top of my head if Legarius Sneed is one of those guys that just falls around the best receiver, or if he just has one side of the field that he stays on. Uh, if he's falling around the the best receiver, though, I would imagine they match him up with Zay Flowers. He'll probably try to jam the hell out of Zay Flowers. I, I would imagine that seems to be uh, a lot of what Legarius Sneed does, and he. He certainly did it to Tyree Kill. So if you can do it to Tyree Kill, I think uh, Zay Flowers is right up your wheelhouse if you're Legereus Sneed. On the front seven, though, I think the key to success here for the Chiefs is going to be Chris Jones, George Karloftis, Charles Amenahu. Um, I think Willie Gay might be out for this one. It's the saddest hail state of all time. Sorry about that, friend. Um, I think he had, he had like a neck injury last week. Not looking great this week. That might be a big one. Nick Bolton, obviously huge on that team as well in that front seven. It is going to be imperative that, one, Chris Jones has to just cause mass mayhem in the middle of the field. Um, obviously, he's going to get some on some key leverage downs. When it's obvious that they're going to be passing, they're going to put him out on the edge on whatever the weakest tackle happens to be and just have him go to town pretty much. Um, that's been pretty consistent with that. He basically... On the final possession of that, uh, of, well, what ended up being the final defensive possession of that Bills game that we just got in the divisional round, uh, Chris Jones, while on the edge, forced a fumble that probably should have ended the game if any of the Chiefs would have fallen on the ball, and then ended up forcing a pressure which caused Josh Allen to just throw a fuck at YOLO ball deep, and he didn't complete that either. either. Chris Jones closed out that game rushing off the edge, and I would imagine it's going to be the exact same sort of thing if the Chiefs are in that type of situation once again in this one. But if the Chiefs don't want it to get it to that point, they are absolutely going to have to key off on this running game in a way that the uh, the Texans certainly did not. And obviously, Lamar Jackson, it, it's a pick-your-poison sort of thing, but Pressure on the quarterback. You cannot let you cannot let Lamar Jackson sit back there for four, five, six, seven, sometimes eight seconds because he will absolutely dice you up with his arm. But more than anything, the running game of this uh, of this Ravens offense is it is elite. They just put two hundred plus on the uh, on the, the the Texans last week. Um, I think that the Chiefs are a little bit better equipped than the Texans to uh, kind of overcome that sort of thing. But still, 
I think Lamar Jackson uh, is the big X factor here, and if he can if he can extend plays and scramble when he needs to, like he got that 100 yards last week, even on some design runs, he ended up getting some some big yardage as well. This is gonna it's gonna be a long game for the Kansas City Chiefs, but I think at the end of the day the game is going to be won by the Ravens in the passing game more so than the running game. I think that you're going to get some good um, sort of plays from Lamar Jackson scrambling. You know, obviously that's what you're basically going to get every single time out there with Lamar Jackson. That's the, not the bread and butter, but the thing that truly makes him special even more so than his accuracy. That being said, I don't think, I mean, I like the secondary for the chiefs. I think they do a very good job, but ultimately I think Lamar Jackson is just going to be extending plays and to a point where eventually some of those guys are going to get open. I think Todd Munkin is creative enough to where we'll see what happens with Mark Andrews. I thought he was going to play last week. Didn't end up playing last week. This seems like a time where you would bring Mark Andrews in, do or die situation against the defending Super Bowl champions. Now seems like a really good time to bring him back. And you got Likely and Mark Andrews out there. That would be an absolute weapon. Um, either way, I believe that this passing game is going to be doing uh, a lot better than what uh, the Bills did this past week. I think the Ravens have better receivers than the Bills. I think they have, well, debatable how much better the quarterback is. I mean, I love Josh Allen. Josh Allen is just an insanely great player, but the Ravens have the MVP on their team. And yeah, I have a lot of faith in the Ravens to come out here on top on offense, what I think is going to be the matchup of the game, though, uh, between this uh, this Ravens offense and the Chiefs defense, it is that front seven of the Chiefs versus the offensive line of the Ravens. I think if if the if the Chiefs if if um sorry had a burp that I had to suppress there for a second. If Chris Jones, Nick Bolton, and company, George Karloftis, Charles Amenahu, all the guys that I named before, if they can win their battles up front and force some negative runs here and there, force them into some obvious passing situations where you can get Chris Jones and Karloftis teeing off on the quarterback, you know, collapsing the pocket, you know, not giving them a whole lot of time. I think that you can win this game, but if the Ravens are getting push off the ball and they're doing whatever they want in the running game, they're just getting consistent success. Even like you're setting up second and six or third and two or something like that. I think it's going to be a long day for this Chiefs defense. So I think the front seven is where this game is going to be won uh, for either team. Well, in this matchup versus with the Ravens offense versus the Chiefs defense, I think that's going to dictate who wins in the end between those two units. On the other side of things, Chiefs offense versus Ravens defense. This is where, honestly, I think the Ravens are going to win the game because, look, the Bills, they did the best that they could at the end of the day. They are not as good of a defensive unit. They did some creative things to kind of make up for, like, what was happening as far as their their personnel issues on the defensive side of the ball did the Bills, but they were bereft of talent back there. You know, Trey White was hurt. Um, people all up and down the roster were hurt. I mean, Vaughn Miller hasn't really been the same player this year. You can go on and on and on. They just weren't really that great of a defense personnel-wise. You had some good players here and there, but at key positions like, uh, linebacker and defensive, really just secondary corners in general. Um, you had some issues there. And even with that, they battled the Chiefs basically to a stalemate that uh, only really was won because 
I mean, honestly, Chris Jones, the greatness of Chris Jones ended up winning that game for the Chiefs in the end there. They just basically battled to a stalemate. It was, you know, Patrick Mahomes got some good plays versus that Bills defense. And ultimately, that plus the, the kicker missing wide right for the Bills ended up winning them the game. This Ravens defense is a totally different animal. They have stars at every single level of the defense. Justin Matabuike is a monster, really kind of a, could have been a dark horse defensive player of the year candidate. That's how good he was throughout the course of this season. Um, you got players up and down the field. I mean, even guys like Geno Stone, who you don't really think of as being uh, key members of the defense, he flies around out there. Kyle Hamilton is an absolute all-pro stud. They might have the best duo of linebackers in the league between, between Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith, the only ones that are even in the conversation with them are Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, who are in the championship on the other side of the bracket. So you got maybe the best uh, linebacker duo in the entire NFL, certainly the best in the AFC. And then on the outside, they might be getting Marlon Humphrey back, which would be a huge, huge add uh, to what they've been doing out there. So I just feel like them going up against the Chiefs, who... Marquez Valdez Scantling, credit where it's due. He had some good catches this past week. I, you know, stepped up in a way that I don't think a lot of people, including myself, would have expected. At the end of the day, though, I do I really expect them to continue to do that against a team like the Ravens, who is, again, the best defense in the entire NFL. I think the Chiefs really only hope of scoring points in this game on a consistent basis is Patrick Mahomes being special? I think Isaiah Pacheco does run hard, and maybe you can get some momentum in the middle. The problem with running up the middle, though, yes, you got those two pro bowlers in, in Tooney and uh, uh, Creed Humphrey. The, the problem is there, you're running directly at the strength of the defense. Kyle Hamilton coming in at safety at the very back end. You work down from there, you got maybe the best linebacker doing the entire NFL, and a defensive line that just absolutely eviscerates opposing offensive lines throughout the course of the season. So the very best that that uh, Isaiah Pacheco does uh, in his game, running straight up the middle and just mauling people pretty much, I think is kind of negated by what the Ravens have strength-wise up the middle, and I, I have a feeling that Mike McDonald is going to draw up some stuff that maybe confuses Patrick Mahomes a little bit more, maybe forces him into some throws or baits him into some throws that maybe he might want to have back. I think the, I think the Ravens are going to get some turnovers in this game, quite frankly. Um, and at the end of the day, I think they're going to match up well versus these receivers. They're going to need Rasheed Rice to have a massive game. They're also going to need uh, a guy like. Um, like Travis Kelsey to have a massive game as well. But if you got Kyle Hamilton on Travis Kelsey, especially Travis Kelsey later in his career where the quickness has diminished a little bit more, it's basically just him using his brain to get open in a lot of these situations or um, recognizing busts on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I think having a guy like like Kyle Hamilton matching up with, uh, with a guy like, uh, like, like Travis Kelsey at this stage in his career, I honestly think Kyle Hamilton's going to win that matchup. I don't know if you're going to get a really good uh, play from, or you're going to get a really good game from Travis Kelsey in this one just because of the greatness of Kyle Hamilton showing through even more so on the other side. Again, I feel like 
what's going to dictate who wins this matchup? Because I think the Ravens have an advantage across the board, quite frankly, on the on the defensive side of the ball versus the Chiefs offense. I think what gives the Chiefs or the win or causes the Ravens to lose is you got Jordan throwing the football right now, man. I mean, my GOAT, I've said it before, I'll say it again. You may not agree with me now. Give it 15 years, you will probably have no choice but to agree with me at that point. He is the greatest quarterback, the greatest football player I have ever seen with my own two eyes. And you're going to need him to play one of the best games of his career if you want to have a shot of uh, of winning this game. Um, and the thing is, it's not totally out of the question. I mean, Patrick Mahomes has, I mean... In that Super Bowl that they lost versus, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was the Rams. Uh, or maybe, I can't exactly remember which one. they. Maybe it was the, no, 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 it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Sorry about that. Getting my Super Bowls mixed up in my head. Well, he had basically no offensive line, and his stats didn't look good. But if you watch the game, he was like parallel to the ground and throwing absolute frozen ropes to Tyree Kill in the end zone. That Pretty much the only reason that he dropped is because... I didn't know that we were in a position where I was going to be getting a pass from anybody. I thought the quarterback was just sacked, and all of a sudden there's a ball in my hands right now. Like, you're going to need, like, superhuman level of Patrick Mahomes play and a, I would say, a huge game from Rasheed Rice and um, Travis Kelsey making some unexpected plays in this one if the Chiefs want to win, quite frankly. And at the end of the day, you put all that together, and, yeah, I just think the Ravens are – they're a – Top to bottom, a better football team. And maybe the offense won't quite dominate. It might be low scoring for a while, quite frankly. This might end up being, you go into the fourth quarter, you look up, it's like 17-10. The Ravens are up, but they're not really pulling away. And then you'll get into the fourth quarter, and I think the Ravens are going to end up just, I mean, it's hard to step on the Chiefs' throats when you got Patrick Mahomes over there. But I just think the Ravens are going to grind this out. And ultimately, they're going to make a couple plays in the fourth quarter that just end up separating this thing. And I think the Ravens are going to the Super Bowl, man. I, I really like the Ravens in this game. Uh, the home field advantage is going to be a problem. I've already laid out why I think that is. They are, I mean, those those fans in M&T Bank Stadium are ravenous. And it is going to be a, uh, a absolute awesome atmosphere, I think. Hopefully, I, I mean, I would assume this game is going to be close. I I love to be optimistic about these sorts of things. If there is a blowout, though, it's the Ravens that are going to be doing the job. So, yeah, that is, of these two games, I I like the Ravens to win. I feel very good about the Ravens winning uh, for sure. That's why they're my pick at, at three and a half, and I'm making that official. So, with that, we'll just keep it on moving from there and go on over to the NFC Championship after I get even more coffee direct injected into my digestive tract via my esophagus. Quick question. Have you heard a stranger way to refer to drinking coffee? I don't know what the hell I just said right there. That was a very... Um, anatomical description of what happens uh, when you drink coffee. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Also, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do right now. <sighs> disgusting. Absolutely disgusting, but I was getting all sorts of uh, gummed up in the nostrils there, so that had to happen. I apologize, but it, it simply had to happen. Uh, either way, though, let's talk about the NFC Championship, shall we? 
So we got the Lions and the 49ers in Santa Clara. It'll be weather will not be an issue this time around. It should be, you know, uh, mid to high 60s, pretty dry at the end of the day. Uh, you won't have that shot of, uh, of Brock Purdy mid-snap taking his hand off the ball to wipe it wipe it on his pants and try to get it a little bit drier. That will not be an issue. Rain will not be an issue whatsoever in this one. And if the 49ers get to the Super Bowl, it's not going to be an issue there because did you know that there's a dome in Las Vegas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is um, the, the Brock Purdy doesn't play well in the rain thing. Probably won't prop up until uh, next season, I would imagine. So don't have to worry about that as far as the analysis goes. Um, yeah, as far as the game itself, but the line here, it is Niners minus seven across the board. Everyone's in lockstep on that one uh, with, you know, juice in any old, old direction. If there is juice, it's, it's mostly on the plus seven. So I don't expect a whole lot of movement on that one. I think they're, I think the books are pretty much in lockstep that, uh, uh, Niners minus seven is the way to go here. Um, over under is just shop around. It's, it's either 50 and a half or 51. Obviously, Y'all know the way I'm leaning on that one. I think there's going to be points, points, points in this one, man. I think uh, the over 50 and a half is a good bet. I think this is going to be an exciting game. I think it is going to be a um, a different tone from what we see in the early game in the AFC Championship. I think this game is going to feature uh, two offenses that are absolutely, um, maybe not running all over the defenses, but scoring some points wholesale uh, versus the opposing defense. Let's get into the specific matchups, though. First off, we'll just go Lions offense versus 49ers defense. Um, you saw last week with the 49ers versus the Green Bay Packers, specifically that running defense going up against Aaron Jones. They got exposed a little bit. I mean, they've been playing this season with a lot of leads. The offense has been allowing them uh, to, you know, not give up a whole lot of rushing yards because by the time that, you know, they're on defense, the opposing offenses are not... Uh, in a position where they'd be running the ball a whole lot. So as a result, the 49ers overall rushing numbers pretty good this year. They rank pretty highly in uh, in total rushing defense in the in the dumb stats if you will. As far as like a win rate goes though, you saw last week versus the uh versus the Packers. The 49ers can be had on the ground to the tune of some pretty efficient running and that is precisely what the Lions want to do. They are I mean, I hesitate to say old school because Ben Johnson does some very creative stuff with the passing game in the in the uh, you know offensive side of the ball. Dan Campbell um, leans into some of those analytics things that you wouldn't expect because he's you know he's a, he's a big manly man. Talks about man, we're just going to go out there and bite kneecaps and stuff. Those scumbag fans, but I digress on that front. So you wouldn't think about that, but at the same time. The strength of that offense, it is the the offensive line. The the whole thing, the whole scheme of the Lions is built around that strong offensive line. We got Penny Sewell, Frank Ragnow with I mean a, a sprain to his knee and his ankle, still saying, "No, nah, I'm good. We're we're fine. We'll just keep it on moving from there." And I mean, we got Taylor Decker. We we got guys up and down that offensive line that are just absolute maulers. Penny Sewell in general, though, is. He's a freak of an athlete, absolute freak of an athlete, and I think that offensive line versus that 49ers defensive line is a big advantage for the Lions right now. I don't think, 
I, they got a lot of big names on that 49ers defensive line. I just don't know if it's gelled in the way that people expected. People being me, by the way, expected coming into the season. I think they've, you know, had some good top-line stats, but struggled rushing the passer. The addition of Chase Young has been, I mean, basically nothing for him. He's been a, a bit of a disappointment. Would not expect him back with the team next year. But, yeah, I, I feel like the Lions have a decided advantage on the offensive line. And with that, I think, you know, I think you're going to see a big game from the running backs, David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. Jameer Gibbs in general, I expect him to continue being on that tear he's been on. He was efficient as hell last week. He's been efficient as hell down the stretch of this season, quite frankly. Uh, and with the way they use him, they don't really, they don't give him like 20, 25 touches a game. But when he touches the ball, electric shit just happens, man. He is a spark plug, a big play waiting to happen with that speed, that quickness that he has. I think the Lions running game is going to feast, and as a result, you are going to see a really concerted effort in the passing game to get the ball down the field. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be in a good position to make some big plays in this one. You know, maybe it's an inconsistent proposition, but maybe you see a big play from Jamison Williams down the field. Uh, Reynolds, I, I not Craig Reynolds. He was the running back that I don't know where he plays now. Could still be with the Lions. I have no idea. I think it's Josh Reynolds, the wide receiver at the Lions. Have he makes some makes some good plays. Got a, a touchdown here and there. You know, making some some key first downs. They don't have like a wide receiver core that wows you necessarily um, for the Lions. They got it like just good enough. They got a legit number one wide receiver in in Amon Ross St. Brown. They got a really good tight end in Sam Laporta. And they've got, I mean, some solid supporting cast, some 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 specialists, if you will. Jamison Williams, in particular, just being as fast as he is. I don't know how well-rounded his game is at this point, but probably still hasn't justified taking him that in that first round uh, in last year's draft. But is a very fast guy, a guy that you have to respect his speed. Uh, Josh Reynolds makes some dirty work plays. Uh, Sam Laporta makes some good plays as well. I mean, they, everyone is very good at what they do, and Ben Johnson is very good at getting them opportunities uh, to get the ball in their hands uh, in advantageous situations. So I think the Lions are going to win that matchup between the 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 offense and the defense there. Where do I think the key matchup is, though, between this? Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty... It, it, it's boring because it's the exact same thing that I was talking about with the the Chiefs and the Ravens. But that front seven, uh, if the, if the 49ers want to to slow down the Lions, they're going to have to win at the point of attack on the front seven because it is legitimate. I mean, it's boring, but it's the same way both of these offenses are built between the Lions and the Ravens. It all kind of builds out from the run game at the end of the day. Like if the Lions running game, I mean, I would say even more so with the Lions, if the Lions running game is is you know humming on all cylinders. There's not a snowball's chance in hell that you're going to stop any of the other aspects that the Lions do. You're, you have to stop the run. You have to win the line of scrimmage battle if you want to have a chance as the 49ers. Um, and also, maybe, just maybe, scheme up some pressure on passing downs uh, to get after Jared Goff. He is still prone to making some dumb decisions when under pressure. So if you can get to Jared Goff, if you can, and honestly, that's probably where they win the game, quite frankly. Stop the Lions running game, get him in the passing down situations on, on you know, obvious passing downs like, you know, second and long, uh, third down and, and medium to long, where you can just tee off on the quarterback. 
Um, that's where you're probably going to win if you can get pressure on Jared Goff and force him into some dumb plays, win the turnover battle by forcing him into some dumb plays. You saw it last week with, uh, I can't remember if that was Jamel Dean or Antoine Winfield, uh, just I mean, Jared Goff threw them an interception, and they just did not complete the interception at the end of the day. You got to get one other, one or two of those. Maybe Dre Greenlaw has another big, big uh, game in this one with interceptions and, and all that sort of stuff. He had two in the last game, so the 49ers have shown ability to force those turnovers. They're gonna have to show that once again in this game if they want to win it. Um, yeah, really, just pressure on Jared Goff in those passing downs. Get him in the passing downs in the first in first place. And then pressure Jared Goff when you get there. That's the Lions' key to success. Lions under the the 49ers' key to success. Lions, the exact inverse. You win at the point of attack. Uh, you get downhill in the running game. It all works out from there. If you if you get the running game going in your Lions, you are you are cooking with gas. And I think that's ultimately what ends up happening. But the 49ers can negate that if they get pressure on Jared Goff and, and stop the run. Obviously, what what else is new? Um, Let's switch it over here. 49ers offense versus the Lions defense. And a little bit of a different formula here. I think the Lions running defense is solid. I think it's probably the most solid one that the 49ers have faced so far um, in this uh, in this postseason. Um, obviously, you want to stop Christian McCaffrey. Uh, that uh, Probably the, the main thing you're looking at if you're the Detroit Lions in this game. I feel like... With the running defense you have, it's probably a good bet that they're going to at least kind of slow them down to a certain degree. You're maybe not going to get quite as much uh, production as you're used to uh, with that uh, with that 49ers running game. It's not going to take much, though. I think it's, it's probably one of those things where if the 49ers can get a couple good runs going, get Christian McCaffrey going a little bit, you're going to start to see some of those uh, Kyle Shanahan concepts in the passing game uh, work out very well. The health of Debo Samuel is paramount. Uh, the status of Debo Samuel, I think, is going to largely dictate how this game is played because Debo Samuel is a, um, I mean, I don't want to compare him to Taysom Hill, but he has, does kind of the same sort of role, so to speak, just more so. Debo Samuel is kind of elite at this role. He's a skeleton key. Whatever you need to do, whatever button you need to press, whatever soft spot you need to press, on a, an opposing defense, Debo Samuel can get you there. If you want to line him up in the backfield, uh, take advantage of it that way, uh, run him on a crosser or something like that. He can do anything you want, basically, is what I'm what I'm trying to say. So Debo Samuel's health is paramount in this one. If Debo Samuel's not healthy, I think that's kind of bad news for the, uh, the San Francisco 49ers, quite frankly. Uh, but at the end of the day, this Lions secondary can be had. It absolutely can be had. And it's it's not like they turn into a different unit. The, the real difference has been uh, the Lions front seven, specifically Aiden Hutchinson, getting to the quarterback and getting to the quarterback at the most prolific rate in the entire NFL over the last month and a half, two months or so. He's been lights out on that defensive line. Um, Aleem McNeil still working back from from that uh, that injury that he suffered earlier on in the year. Um I think they activated James Houston as well off the IR, so that that could help out if he plays in this game. Not not sure what the status is there. I haven't really heard much, uh, but yeah, if you can get pressure on Brock Purdy, maybe is Trent Williams in the game? Who's to say? It, I I think yeah, <laughs> no question about Trent Williams being in the game. So maybe maybe a move around Aiden Hutchinson. That's the other thing too. 
Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator for the uh, the Detroit Lions, has been money down the backstretch of this season, specifically in scheming up creative blitzes and putting Aiden Hutchinson in favorable situations to get you know one-on-one matchups that he probably wouldn't get on his own because he's he's already turned into one of those players where okay where is he on the line of scrimmage we have to shift protection that way because otherwise he's going to burn us and Aaron Glenn has kind of schemed ways up for where either he gets a free rush somehow some way or he gets a one-on-one which is almost as good as a free rush quite frankly in a lot of situations um so I think the the chess match in this game is going to qu- probably be, you know, in this matchup between the Lions defense and the 49ers offense is going to be between uh, Kyle Shanahan scheming things up and shifting protections and whatnot. And um, we're going to get to that here in just a second. Big news just broken. You probably already know about it, but we'll get to it here uh, once I get through this game. Have to remember that one. I'm going to hit that at the top of the headlines, but as it stands right now, uh, we're talking about a game right now. The, the matchup is going to be between Aaron Glenn and Kyle Shanahan. Aaron Glenn kind of scheming up creative blitzes and uh, getting pressure on the quarterback in obvious passing downs. Um, Kyle Shanahan drawing up some some good uh, good protections, uh, maybe running away from uh, from where Aiden Hutchinson is to you know get a little bit more uh, juice out of the running game. Again, Lions have a surprisingly good running defense, so I think they match up fairly well versus this 49ers team. Uh, what is the secondary going to do with Brandon Ayuk, uh, Juwan Jennings? Um, what are they going to do with, with George Kittle? I think that ultimately the passing game is going to be what puts the 49ers over the top because I don't think they have enough bodies in the secondary right now in this iteration uh, of the Lions defense to keep them from scoring a lot of points. That's why I like the over in this one at, at 50 and a half, because I just think both of these offenses have an advantage against both of these defenses. I think the 49ers are going to be able to protect well enough. Maybe maybe Aiden Hutchinson gets loose a couple times. Maybe get a little bit of pressure on Brock Purdy. I think ultimately, though, the 49ers offensive line and the protection is going to win out in that one uh, more, than they, more than not. And I think they ultimately end up uh, getting some chunk plays against this Lions secondary because I think a lot of times, they, especially down the stretch here, they've relied on pressure uh, to cover up some stuff on the back end. Um, obviously, a guy like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson who can get you, um, you know, get you some turnovers here and there. That's a big wild card for you. Uh, but at the end of the day, barring interceptions and bad plays by Brock Purdy, which I don't think you're going to be getting nearly as much of now that it's not in the rain, uh, in this game, I think that the that the Lions are going to be giving up some points in this one. I think Brock Purdy is going to have a, a solid game in this one as well. Uh, you know, assuming that Hassan Reddick doesn't come out of the stands and take a paring knife and Sisa right in the UCL of uh, of Brock Purdy like he did last year, um, we'll see. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't. I don't think Hassan Reddick's going to be in the stadium with a paring knife that he somehow snuck through security. You never know, though. You never know. Maybe someone on the line, maybe he hands the paring knife to someone on the Lions side and says, you know what you must do. Kirby Joseph, perfect guy for it. He likes to dive at knees, right? Uh, go from diving at knees to diving at arms. You know, that's, that's, I mean, I'm not advocating that, by the way. Don't, don't do that. But that's probably the way that the Lions end up stopping the 49ers ultimately on offense is, you know, stymieing the run game. And then even with that, 
uh, an injury would derail this whole thing, obviously. Uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek on that one, but eh, whatever. W- whatever. Ultimately, though, bringing it all together, you already know how I feel about the spread. I think the Lions are going to keep this thing close. I think it's going to be a really good game. Um, I do not think the Lions are going to win. I think that that... That edge that the 49ers have, offense versus secondary. And Debo Samuel does play into this massively because I think if he doesn't play, I think the Lions have a real good shot of winning this thing. It's trending more so that he will end up playing. And at this point in the season, no holds barred, baby. You can recover in the offseason. If it's not something incredibly major, I think you just got to, I mean, it's, it's, this, this one's for the season, folks. So, I think you just batten down the hatches and let her rip. Toradol's a hell of a drug. It is what it is there. It's the that's the, the, the chosen uh painkiller of choice uh for uh you know time and memoriam in the in the NFL. So I think that Debo Samuel's probably gonna be out there. I think that gives the 49ers enough of an edge to win in a shootout in this one. I think this is going to be a really, really fun game. A really fun nightcap uh, to Championship Sunday. Uh, I I ultimately think the 49ers win. I think they win by less than seven points, though. So, yeah. that I feel I feel good about that one. I think that the, the night game is going to be a really, really fun game. We'll see about the early game. I have a feeling that the Ravens might pull away on that one. But I hope I'm wrong. I'm hoping for good games across the board here. That's what I'm feeling, though. I think it's going to be Ravens versus 49ers, a rematch in the Super Bowl, and that would be an absolute dandy. And, you know, I would you know, still be sticking to my guns as far as uh, my Super Bowl pick. It's one of the only things I have left going from the early predictions that the 49ers would win the Super Bowl. So I'm, I'm sticking to my guns on that one. Getting ahead of ourselves, though. That's how I'm feeling about the championship Sunday. Uh, let's move on to some headlines, shall we? And first and foremost, this just came across my timeline oh, over the last five minutes or so. So we'll just hit it right now. Jim Harbaugh, Michigan head coach as of five minutes ago, will be leaving Michigan to be the new head coach of the LA Chargers, folks. It's... There was some questions as to whether that whether you know the Spanos family would pony up the money to make it happen. Obviously, they did. We knew Jim Harbaugh wanted to get back into the NFL game. It felt like the Chargers were the most obvious destination. I think when you look around, uh, like okay, they're in cap hell for sure. Make no mistake about it. But you look at the options available. There's one that has a definite top ten quarterback. Probably top five, if only just a top five uh, quarterback in Justin Herbert there. And uh, none of these other jobs have that in place. So Jim Harbaugh goes there. Uh, he's got got his work cut out for him. I'm not, not going to sugarcoat it, man. I mean, they got some good players in place, but they are in cap hell. And they need to revamp the defensive roster. Um, Harbaugh is going to be bringing discipline, though. He's going to bring a physical style of football. You will not be seeing, uh, like we saw in the Brandon Staley years, where there are times where the running game just disappears. That will not be what happens in this new era of uh, of, of Chargers football. Hell, with, with Jim Harbaugh being there and Blake Corum in the draft, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I don't think Blake Corum is like a, a top half of the draft sort of player at running back. I think later in the, in the later rounds, if he drops down in like the fifth or sixth round, 
I would not be shocked at all if the Chargers ended up getting Blake Corum to kind of supplement what you got with Austin Eckler. Eckler looks like he's on, you know, the back back end of the career, so to speak. Sucks that he didn't get paid after all those touchdowns that he had in 2022. The 2023 year was not very kind to him either. So, yeah, we'll see if he sticks around. That's a big cap number that they might end up uh, going away from, so to speak. And uh, we'll see what happens from there. But you got you got the right guy in the building. Jim Harbaugh, who knows how long he'll be there. He's There's a reason he works better in college than he does in the NFL. He's a, he's a guy that... You know, we'll just we'll just say that by the time that he was getting to the end with the 49ers, I think a lot of guys that have been there throughout the entire four years uh, in the locker room were getting a little bit tired of the uh, of of the I don't know I don't know the best way to describe it the the shtick the the shtick so to speak. Um, I'm not not sure. We'll we'll see we'll see. I think he has he could have some staying power if he kind of you know lays off a little bit of the hard ass stuff from time to time does a little bit more CEO stuff. Do I expect that to happen? No. No, I think Jim Harbaugh is going to be Jim Harbaugh till the day he dies. But you give him a top five quarterback, you give him a couple good receivers like Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, if for some godforsaken reason he can stay healthy, maybe you get an ounce of value out of Quentin Johnston in the passing game. That would be a a fun change of pace uh, at the end of the day. Um. Chargers did a hell of a job here getting the right guy, though. He was he was a guy that I think they needed to get because they needed a full culture change. I think they're going to be a physical football team going on on offense. They're going to run the ball. They're probably going to use the hell out of Rashawn Slater. I'll tell you that much. They got an all-pro left tackle, and you wouldn't know by the way that they played offense the last couple of years. I don't think you're going to be seeing a lot of this you know, high-flying offense that you've seen, uh, the, the flashy, the, the the type of offense that the, the stats guys love. I think you're going to see a guy, I think you're going to see an offense that ultimately the stats guys love because it puts up good numbers and ultimately is efficient. It's going to look night and day from what you saw from the Brandon Staley era, though. I, I love this hire. I absolutely love this hire. You needed a full culture shift. The offense is going to be better. I think he, now don't quote me on this, I think there's a better than 50% chance that Jim Harbaugh brings Jesse Minter with him from Michigan. Uh, you may remember him uh, last time, one, winning the national championship and uh, putting on an absolute show versus Michael Penix, really shined in the Rose Bowl game in the college football semifinal, just putting that Alabama offense, Tommy Reese, Jalen Milrow, in an absolute blender with the blitz packages that he had in there. I mean, just making them look foolish. And it won't work exactly that way in the NFL because you got NFL offenses and NFL brains at quarterback in there. But Jesse Minter is absolutely, no question in my mind, an NFL defensive coordinator. I think there's a good chance that, that uh, he follows uh, Jim Harbaugh from Michigan and takes that defensive coordinator role. Um, I'm not going to guarantee that, but I would expect that. I think the defense is going to be much better. I think the offense is going to have a much different tone to it. I think the Chargers may not be uh, world beaters next year, but you put those things together and you put Justin Herbert in that quarterback, I think the Chargers are well on their way to possibly being a playoff team next year. I, I really, really love this hire. Uh, as for Michigan... I mean, it. I think um, I think most people kind of expect that Sharon Moore is the the front runner. He was the interim head coach whenever Jim Harbaugh was having that. I don't even know what you would call it. It wasn't really a suspension. It was kind of like I don't know house arrest, basically. Like he was on probation. 
to a certain extent. Like, like he, you, you couldn't allow him on the football field for game days, but he was still coaching the team in practice throughout the entire week. And then Sharon Moore just took over uh, during game days. So Sharon Moore does have that uh, that game day head coaching experience. Uh, at, and this late in the, in the cycle, too, when really, I mean, the Alabama, I mean, Nick Saban retiring was late in the hiring cycle. And they, you, there's a reason that you're seeing Kalen DeBoer scrambling at this point. It's so late in the hiring cycle right now that you're basically forced uh, to go with, uh, with Sharon Moore as your head coach. We'll see if they make an outside hire. I would, expect, I would expect Sharon Moore to be the heavy favorite to take that that Michigan job, and we'll see how it goes from there. I'm, I wasn't exactly impressed with the way that Michigan played whenever Sharon Moore was uh, was at the helm. Obviously, they beat Ohio State, which, hey, credit where credit is due. That was that was a hell of a win by Sharon Moore in that one. Now we're going to see how Sharon Moore runs a program, though, if he is indeed the one that takes over. How do you recruit? How do you retain this roster? There's a 30-day window just open uh, for Michigan now that Jim Harbaugh is on the way out of there. You saw it just wreak havoc on the Alabama roster with all the transfers that they had. I mean, from incoming recruits in the 2024 cycle uh, to guys that were already there. I mean, Bama, the cupboard was stripped clean in a lot of senses. I think you're going to be seeing less of that from Michigan just because of the culture that Jim Harbaugh built, especially if Sharon Moore is the guy going forward. I think there's enough continuity there with culture-wise that you probably keep a lot of guys in there, but it there will be some guys that leave for sure. How do they respond to that? How does Sharon Moore run this thing going forward? Or whoever takes over, how do they run this thing going forward? And how do they keep this Michigan train rolling? We talked about Ohio State already. Brian Day is making national championship moves right now. Also moves that are designed to beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, and win a national championship. Not an opportune time for Michigan to to lose its head coach right now. How does the next head coach uh, pilot that ship and ultimately keep this thing afloat at a level that it has been? I think it's damn near impossible to keep it at where it has been with, with Jim Harbaugh on the way out the door, but... I'm interested to see how they try doing that. Huge news, though, with Jim Harbaugh going back to the NFL with a bona fide top five quarterback in Justin Herbert. I'm excited to see who they get as offensive coordinator, quite frankly, because that could be a variety of people coming in. I don't think they're going to hire Sharon Moore as the offensive coordinator at the NFL level, but I think it's going to be the type of offensive coordinator that is going to do what Jim Harbaugh wants to do, which is just play physical, nasty football, that, but you also moving the ball down the field, winning at the point of attack. I'm very interested in that. I'm re- I'm fascinated at how Jim Harbaugh fills out his staff in that one. Boy, I could I could talk about that one all day. I'm I'm pretty excited to see what Jim Harbaugh does uh, with the L.A. Chargers. I think that was probably his best destination, even with the cap hell that they're in, the 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 flux situation at GM. I, if I'm not mistaken, they they hired the head coach before they hired the GM, which is interesting situation. We, weird sort of situation there. It's, um, I think, another one of those jobs that just, yeah, the, the Raiders just did that before they, uh, well, we'll get to that in just a second. They hired a new GM uh, shortly after hiring the head coach, which we'll see. We'll see how that works out. Uh, same situation there with the Chargers in the same division. Um, I'm I'm fascinated with this, though. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how Jim Harbaugh fills this thing out. We'll certainly be getting more information on that as the week goes on. Next week, we'll be having, um, I'm sure, uh, a whole segment on that once again. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Ah, 
the to the uh, headlines that I already had written down. What are we doing time wise? We're probably huh, coming up right in an hour. We're gonna, we're gonna be getting out of here in a reasonable amount of time. I don't have a whole lot of headlines today. Just some stuff that happened between last episode and this one. Uh, Panthers promoted from within. They hired their own former first-round pick from 2001, Dan Morgan, to be their new GM. Uh, was the assistant GM since 2021 when Scott Fitterer came in. feel like that's not an organization where you need to be making an internal hire, but given the reputation of David Tepper, I'm not sure they could have done a whole lot better. I think they're scraping the bottom of the barrel uh, as far as which candidates want to throw their face into that shit show. It's not going to be a long list, uh, quite frankly. It's um, it's a bad job. It is a bad job uh, with a bad owner right now. Maybe in a decade, uh, you saw the Haslam's figure it out in 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 Cleveland to a certain extent. They did they did trade for the nasty man and uh, give him a 230 million dollar guaranteed contract, fully guaranteed contract. But they figured it out to a point where they're not meddling so much. It's probably going to take a, a decade or so for David Tepper to realize that fully. Um, we'll see, though. This is probably the best they could do. It's a it's a, a fan pleaser getting a, a former first round pick of yours uh, as that uh, as that GM. We'll see, though. Next order of business: hiring a head coach, and good luck. You are getting uh, only the most desperate of head coaching candidates uh that were are willing to step into that I mean just blast furnace it's it's not a good situation to go into from really any perspective that you look at it's it's not a good job to walk into the owner is going to meddle the hell out of it out of the situation you don't have a first round pick this year because the last GM is a big dumb dipshit that decided to trade uh not only your best wide receiver but like Two first, two future first round picks uh, to bring in Bryce Young, uh, which, by the way, probably should have gone with C.J. Stroud. With all that we know now after this season, um, also a little bit better run organization there in the Texans, which is saying a lot because uh, Cal McNair isn't exactly known for being a great owner, uh, but better than David Tepper right now. Um, it's you know the owner. You got those Monday meetings. He's going behind your back to assistant coaches being like, hey, how do you feel about the head coach? It sounds like a goddamn shit show there with the with the, the Carolina Panthers right now and a terrible culture in the building. Uh, that's what you're walking into if you take this head coaching job. Good luck to him, though. Someone's going to take that job. By default, someone is going to take uh, that coaching job at some point. We'll see who it ends up being. I'm not optimistic. I don't think the, the Panthers' future is all that bright. Poor Bryce Young, man. Poor Bryce Young. Uh, the Titans have come to a agreement with their new head coach. It will be Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. I am wholly unsure of this hire. Um, did a hell of a job adapting without Burrow uh, this past year. Did some good things. You know, in, in conjunction with Zach Taylor, um, as far as scheming around their deficiencies at quarterback, I think he did a hell of a job with Jake Browning. Uh, Jake Browning played uh, well above what I think most NFL fans uh, thought he was capable of at quarterback. And Brian Callahan, you know, part of the game planning, uh, did a good job in that front. I don't know if Brian Callahan has ever called plays. I don't believe so. That's probably what he's going to end up doing, uh, you know, going from offensive coordinator with the Bengals to head coach with the Titans. Similar to like a Mike McDaniel situation where you haven't haven't really 
you know, call plays yet, but it's your team now, so you can. Um, yeah, I mean, the Titans, good for them. They, they made a hire. The weird thing is I feel like there was a lot of buzz about Aaron Glenn getting this job, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, Brian Callahan ends up being the one that comes out on top. Don't know if that's a, that's a, an Amy Adams shrunk situation where you know, a little bit of owner meddling, you know, hearkening back to that, that Carolina Panthers discussion that we just had, uh, or what that is. Um, you got your work cut out for you there, but it's a, it's a roster in turnover. Probably a good idea to have an offensive head coach. If it does work out, it's probably a good idea to have an offensive head coach if you're, you're planning on going forward with Will Levis, which seems to be the case. Um, not going to have Derrick Henry in all likelihood. An aging running back, that costs a whole lot. He's probably going to be on the way out the door. Ty J. Spears is going to be your number one back in all likelihood. Probably pick another guy up in the draft, I would say. I'm not sure Ty J. Spears is a guy that you're going to want to trust being uh, down in, down out back. He's kind of on the on the smaller side. You don't want to necessarily put too many hits on that body. And in the modern NFL, having two running backs is just more advantageous anyway. So I think they probably end up picking someone up in um in the draft this coming year who that is who that ends up being is going to be fascinating that could also be a spot for Blake Corum quite frankly because you you've got the you got the lightning with with Ty J Sharp he's quick as hell speedy out of the backfield you need to change of pace a guy that can really just throw the hammer on you and Blake Corum kind of fits that mold uh to uh to a large extent there so that might be it might be a spot for him we'll see how it works out but uh overall I don't I mean Loser organization. I mean, you fired. You fired Mike Vrabel and absolutely just. I mean, I'll stand by that. They absolutely screwed themselves on that one and resigned themselves to loserdom. But I don't know. We'll see how it works out for him. I don't have a whole lot of faith that it will. But I don't know. I don't know, man. All right. Uh, also, the Bengals will be elevating their QB coach Dan Pitcher to replace Cal Hanna's OC. Makes sense. That's kind of the pipeline. You saw it last year with, I mean, play calling offensive coordinator, so a little bit different situation. But Brian Johnson with the Eagles, um, he was the quarterback coach. Then Shane Steichen leaves. He's elevated from within as the offensive coordinator. Obviously, that didn't work out, but he was also calling plays. Uh, in this situation, you got Zach Taylor calling plays. So not going to have uh, much of an issue on that one. Also, Deserves a lot of credit for what he did with Jake Browning this past year, too. I mean, the QB coach uh, working directly with Jake Browning every single day deserves a lot of credit for that. So he earned his uh, his opportunity at, at offensive coordinator, uh, becoming a not a focal point, but um, part of, you know, the architect of the game plan going forward. Um, probably if, you know, they keep trending the way they trend, Dan Pitcher will probably be in line for a head coaching opportunity of his own going forward. So. Yeah, it makes sense. That, that's a, that's one that makes sense. Uh, probably a name that we'll have to uh, get familiar with over the next couple years, assuming that the Bengals continue to be on this offensive tear that they have been uh, with Joe Burrow up until this point. Uh, speaking of Brian Johnson, there was some question as to, okay, they haven't made an offensive coordinator change yet there in Philadelphia. Are they going to stick with Brian Johnson for another year? Not sure that's the greatest idea. Uh, they will not be sticking with Brian Johnson for another year. Uh, I think shortly after I put I posted the last podcast, uh, Brian Johnson, uh, it was announced, will no longer be the offensive coordinator for the Eagles. Officially a clean, sna- clean slate for Nick Sirianni uh, next season. 
2024 will be the most crucial year of his tenure in terms of job security. Uh, mark my words now, if he does not nail, uh, Nick Sirianni does not nail the defensive coordinator hire and the offensive coordinator hire for this upcoming season, I don't think he makes it to 2025, folks. I think this is a this is a put up or shut up year. You need to get back to the winning ways, stay with 11 or 12 wins, and more importantly, you need to get deep in the playoffs. Not just one playoff when you need to be either having a hell of a game in the divisional playoffs or getting all the way to the NFC Championship game. But more than anything, you need to see progress on the defensive side of the ball to where you don't look hapless at the end of the season. You need to see progress on the offensive side of the ball to where you look creative uh, throughout the course of the season. And overall, you need to see a better culture than what was displayed this last year. This is a put-up-or-shut-up, do-or-die sort of year for Nick Sirianni coming up. And you know what? This is just an opportune time to uh, to hit on it now because I put the I put the headline later, but big shocker right now. The Miami Dolphins and Vic Fangio mutually agreed to part ways. And unlike most situations where mutually agreed to part ways means that it was basically fired. In this situation, I think it really was kind of a mutual parting of ways because from the Miami Dolphins perspective, which mutually parting ways, obviously one side wants to leave more than the other. I think Vic Fangio wanted to get out of there um, more than the Dolphins wanted to get rid of him. I think, I mean, really this it was a huge shocker for me because Vic Fangio was part of why I really kind of believe in the Dolphins going into next season. I thought that defense, they were so bereft of talent due to injuries, especially in the pass rush department. Um, it was hard. It was hard to work with that and still have a quality defense at the end of the year. I thought Vic Fangio had a lot to build off of after this past year. And then you see the news coming out today that they're going to be parting ways, and it was shocking to me, but it seems like it's centered around Vic Fangio wanting to be closer to his family in Pennsylvania. With that said, you know, coincidentally, a last off season, it was, you know, the Eagles making a strong push for Vic Fangio until the Dolphins yoinked him right out from under him. Big shocker there in last off season. This time around, oh, would you look at that? The Eagles have an opening at defensive coordinator. You connect the dots yourself, folks. Um, it feels like that is a, a a destination that is an overwhelming favorite. I would say if we're putting odds on this, minus two thousand uh, that the uh, that that Vic Fangio ends up as the Eagles' defensive coordinator this season. So, good news for Nick Sirianni on that one. Uh, that you know, ultimately the guy that they wanted last off season, but ultimately settled for Sean Desai. We saw how that worked out. Um, ends up coming back around, and you end up getting the guy that you wanted all along on the defensive side of the ball. So you probably have that sorted. I am interested to see what happens on the other side of the ball at offensive coordinator. Got a lot of options to choose from throughout the entire league. Um, who Nick Sirianni chooses is going to be telling as to, well, one, what they want the offense to be going forward. It's kind of in flux. You know, Jason Kelsey, I, I think, retiring. I don't think there's really been any confirmation to that outside of, you know, the the announcement after the game from Shefty. But then also Jason Kelsey seeming like he might not be totally 100% ready to retire, not officially announcing it on his podcast or anything like that or officially announcing it at all. Might have just been an emotional moment at the end of that game where it's like, okay, I want to retire, and then maybe he decides to come back. I don't know, but it seems like, assuming that Jason Kelsey retires, you're in a, a huge state of flux right now 
with that Eagles offense. And um, could see it going either way. I think with who you got at quarterback and the strength of running the ball that he has, uh, you know, the strength of his legs, I think it would behoove you to find a, a, a coordinator that can coordinate a really good running game and incorporate the quarterback into that running game. Um, and kind of, you know, I... One thing that I was shocked that they didn't more, do more of this year that was just absolute money in 2022, that boot out to whatever side. I, th- I guess uh, I guess Hurts is a right-handed quarterback, so the boot out to the right where you got the tight end running with you and one guy in coverage there uh, covering there. Maybe you got a defensive end running with you, but Jalen Hurts can get the edge on the defensive end. Uh, you just got Jalen Hurts running, and it's basically just a read option. What does the guy do in coverage? If he comes up to try and stop Jalen Hurts, you toss it over his head to Dallas Goddard or tight end, whoever's running with, with Jalen Hurts. Uh, if he stays in coverage, you just keep on running. You get an easy five yards there on the outside. That's a concept that I didn't hardly see at all this past season. And someone that can kind of incorporate that a little bit more because it's just it's easy yards for him. And you saw it time and time again with Shane Steichen's offense that you just didn't see it uh, this past off this past season with the Eagles. I wouldn't I wouldn't anticipate it's going to be uh, one of those guys that uh, does a little bit better job of that. But who's to say? We'll find out here over the next you know probably the next week or so. Seems like when you're going to have to get those coordinator hires all sorted. So probably by the time the next time that we talk, the Eagles will likely have an offensive and a defensive coordinator going forward. But until then. Not all eyes, but my eyes specifically are going to be on the Eagles and what they end up doing. Because again, this is the most crucial offseason that Nick Sirianni has had in his tenure as far as job security goes. Make or break year coming up uh, for Nick Sirianni. The fans are all the way out on him right now, and he needs to change that and needs to do himself some favors going forward. Um, The Raiders hired former Chargers GM Tom Telesco. I'm just not entirely sure about jumping straight from one job uh, directly into the next job, especially after you saw that big old spending spree that was supposed to be like put up or shut up time. Well, first and foremost, hired Anthony Lynn and then hired Brandon Staley as head coaches, two guys that ultimately ended up being duds, which, okay, you took that out of his hands this time around. You got Antonio Pierce in the building. On one hand, that's a good thing because obviously Tom Telesco doesn't have a great track record of hiring head coaches. On the other hand, though, I could maybe possibly see some tension in the fact that, you know, Tom Telesco didn't pick this guy. He did not interview uh, Antonio Pierce. He didn't choose to keep him in town. It's not really Tom Telesco's guy. It's the guy that he inherited because Mark Davis ultimately made the right decision in hiring Antonio Pierce. But it's a tough sort of interpersonal situation with Tom Telesco. You hope that he embraces Antonio Pierce, but you could also very easily say that, you know, this isn't the guy that I wanted. Maybe ultimately he's looking for a reason to fire him after a certain point. Like maybe if maybe if the Raiders go on like a losing skid this upcoming season, maybe Tom Telesco makes a move to possibly uh, fire Antonio Pierce. I don't I don't anticipate that happening, but. Could I see it based on the dynamics of the situation? Absolutely. And not only that, taking away the coaching part of that and the interpersonal dynamics, look at the spending spree that he went on that was supposed to be the put-up-or-shut-up year in, in 2022 for the Chargers. They ultimately got to the playoffs, but 
J.C. Jackson ended up, I mean, injuries, all that sort of stuff. They cut him this past season. They, they, they cut bait on that one. That didn't work out at all. Um, you had uh, big-time additions elsewhere throughout this uh, the, the, this roster that didn't end up working out, just didn't kind of just fell flat. Uh, you extended some players. I mean, Joey Boza hasn't been playing great over the course of the last uh, season or so. Uh, you signed aging defenders on the defensive side of the ball, and they never really got the defense right. And part of that is obviously due to Brandon Staley, but also didn't do him a whole lot of favors in the personnel department. I'm just not... It's the same sort of uh, reticence that I had with Frank Reich jumping straight from the Colts job into the Panthers job last season. Obviously, different sort of dynamics there, but it's still the same sort of thing coming in, like going straight from one job right into the next one. I don't, I don't love it. I don't, I feel like there's not enough time for you to step away and kind of have some introspection as to what went wrong at the last job. What can I fix to make this next one better? You don't have that time for self-reflection because you're just dumping straight into the next job. So you're lending yourself to making some of those same mistakes over again. I don't know. I don't know about this one. I don't know about this one. I think Tom Telesco, he's made some good good decisions in the past. And that's another thing. With the draft this past year, I mean, you saw him draft Quentin Johnston in the first round. That's an absolute bust right out of the gate. So I I don't know. I don't I don't know about this one. The interpersonal dynamics are weird between him and Antonio Pierce. Uh, the personnel ended up being shaky with the Chargers. That's a big reason why Tom Telesco got fired with the Chargers this offseason. I don't know, folks. I don't. I really don't know about this one. That might end up being a situation that blows up spectacularly. Could end up working out great, though. They, you know, Tom Telesco did make some great decisions when it was all said and done. He drafted Justin Herbert. He got Rashawn Slater, I believe, also a first-rounder. Uh, I think Zion Johnson. Uh, guard, you know, another solid pickup there. So, I mean, he's got some flat. I mean, Joey Bose is a really good player as well. Just couldn't hire the right uh, right head coach at the end of the day. So, maybe it works out. We'll see. I don't feel great about it at the end of the day. I don't feel great about it. Um, final headline here, and one that I wasn't sure was going to happen, but s- desperately needed to happen. Um, Joe Barry is out as the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Like I said, that needed to happen. Absolutely needed to happen. You can't let the last like couple weeks of the season in, in playoffs uh, color what this this was for Joe Barry. Ever since he got there, he has been. I mean, he's had all the talent in the world to work with. Eight first round picks in that defense. Plus, he got Lucas Van Ness uh, waiting in the wings as of this last draft. Couldn't find a way to use Lucas Van Ness in the first place, which, hey, maybe it was a bust of a draft pick. Maybe he's one of those guys that got there, wasn't quite as good as you expected, but you got to find a way to get him in the rotation. And he seemed to play well when he was out there. He just never was out there. But you got all this talent all across the field. You got a solid secondary. Uh, you got linebackers that fly around. You got a good defensive line. And with all that at his disposal, his defenses were consistently in the mid-20s every single year in just about every category, just not good enough. And especially with the Packers entering this two- to three-year window where you've got a real shot to make a Super Bowl run, you need to have you need to give yourself every opportunity to win the game. Joe Barry was just simply not up to snuff uh, for a championship defense. He is now out of there. The Packers made the right decision. Matt LaFleur, the flower, made the right decision in this one, uh, getting rid of Joe Barry, I think, uh, you know, 
again, I don't think this is going to be, I, I don't think, I don't think Matt LaFleur's job security is, is in question here. I think he's going to be there pretty much no matter what. I'd say for the next five years, uh, one of the sure bets in all the NFL is that Matt LaFleur is going to be the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. I think he's going to be probably going to be there for a long time, especially with uh, Jordan Love and the the development that he ended up helping out with there. Yeah, man, Aaron Rodgers needs some credit for that too, man. They were in the same QB room for a long time. I'm sure there were a lot of conversations between Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers as far as what he was seeing, uh, how to read a defense, different keys in certain areas. Matt LaFleur gets a lot of credit for that as well, though, man. The, the, the development, not only from the mental perspective of, you know, what's going on reading defenses, but the mechanical perspective of Jordan Love being, frankly, an inaccurate quarterback when he came into the league to, by the time he ended up getting in the starting lineup, a polished passer, an accurate passer with a cannon of an arm. And you saw it on the back half of the season, just lighting defenses on fire uh, as the season went on. So yeah, he'll be there for a while. This defensive coordinator hire, though, will likely dictate the level of success that the Packers have in this championship window. I'm, I'm really, there's a lot of very interesting coordinator hires. I think first and foremost, you look at how Jim Harbaugh fills out his staff. But from there, what do the Eagles do? Obviously, Vic Fangio is the shoe-in for that defensive coordinator. What do they do with the offensive coordinator? The Packers here with this defensive coordinator position. A lot of interesting moving parts right now. I would say one name to keep an eye on for this Packers defensive coordinator position, Ejiro Ivero. Still that kind of head coaching circuit, I don't think, especially with how stacked the field is uh, for head coaching candidates this year. I don't see Ajiro Averro getting a head coaching job unless it's with the Panthers when they just simply cannot hire anyone. They just have to offer it to someone who is desperate for an opportunity for a head coach. Maybe you see him going there as the, as the new head coach. Um, barring that possibility, though, I think Ajiro Averro is a name that you should watch uh, for being the next Packers defensive coordinator. He did a good job with the Panthers this last season, all things considered. It was a shit show he stepped into, and it was a bad culture. But the year before that, uh, with the the Denver Broncos, did a really, really solid job there. One of the best defenses in the entire NFL when he was with the Denver Broncos. Um, that Watch that name. Ajiro Averro might end up being the guy that, that comes out and uh, gets that Packers defensive coordinator job. But again, probably one that we're going to see some momentum on. Um by the time we talk next time. And that's um, that's it, actually. That's, that's, a final, uh, that's the final headline for this episode. Thank you so much for watching, folks. That's all for Unqualified Analysis today. If you enjoyed, subscribe wherever you listen to this. Uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, uh, you know, Amazon even. You know, if, if you're feeling crazy, if you're feeling, if you're feeling spicy, go on over to Amazon and uh, subscribe there as well. Um, yeah, if you want to want to follow me, I don't have a show account. Probably should, but I don't. Um Follow me at, uh, at, you know, Caleb Verzak on Twitter. Don't have an Instagram because who, who, who cares about that app, man? I mean, many people do. I should be on Instagram and I'm bad at self-promotion, but hey, go follow me on Twitter. That, that's, that's what you should be doing. Link will be down in the description so you can do that. So you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern block name. I did it for you. Um, outside of that, go on over to the email if you want to contact me that way, or just shoot me a DM on Twitter, probably easier on Twitter. But if you don't have a Twitter account, go to the emails, unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That'll also be down in the description. Uh, so if you don't know how to spell either of those words, you can just, you know, just copy paste that thing into your email and, uh, just 
get at your boy, I suppose. Uh, outside of that, thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. As always, I've got just about no clue what I'm talking about. You could tell at various points in this show, I'm sure. Uh, outside of that, though, one thing I learned this week is that Thomas Jefferson is credited with bringing pasta to the U.S. in 1790. Also, 1790 is the first year that a written pasta recipe using tomato sauce was created. So, uh, yeah, I'll see y'all on Tuesday. Enjoy the football. Uh, may your bets be bountiful. There you go. Have a good one.